things on the Sabbath. Oh, the Jews sorry, Keith. I think you got the wrong. I think I've got the wrong. I've given it to you. I know. I've given it to you wrong. Oh, it's my fault, <laughs> as usual. No, it's my fault. Let's have a look. Dom, which one? Dom, which one? Nine, chapter nine. Oh. Hang on. It's the start of five, I think. No, it's nine, isn't oh, it? Is it nine? <laughs> Here we go. Dom. Talk among yourselves. So down to there. Nine, nine one to twelve. Right. Thank you. So, Keith. the Gospel of John is now written in chapter nine of the Gospel of John, beginning at verse one. It's on page 1075. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Good. So I'm glad we, um, we cleared up what we're talking about today. That's, that's Take a good mask thing. Off, oh, yes. Good. I'll tell you what, should we pray? Uh, and, uh, and maybe God will heal this whole thing. Right, Father God, we just want to say thank you uh, for this wonderful miracle in this story of John 9. And I just really pray um, for this moment now that we can just really uh, open it up with clarity. I just want to ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Good. Now, I wonder if I asked you the question, what is ministry? I wonder what your response would be. Now, we seem to bandy the word around quite a lot, don't we? And we use it in a whole load of different circumstances. But I guess the real questions are, what is the point of ministry? And what are we actually doing? Or what are we trying to achieve? So they're questions for my youth ministry, and they're questions for everybody's ministry. Now, they're really important questions, aren't they? Because knowing the answer to these is what gets you out of the house on a cold and wet Tuesday evening when you could just be sat in the house watching the telly and eating chocolate. Or they get you out of bed on a Sunday morning 
when deep down in your heart, you'd probably rather have the lion, right? So knowing the answers, what are we trying to achieve, uh, is really helpful. Or they help us to decide what to do when there seems to be so many good things that we could do. What is a God thing that I'm, I'm really doing here? Now, in today's passage, the disciples are going along with Jesus, and they spot a man that has been blind since birth. Well, if he's been blind since birth, then, he, then he's never known anything different, and even no one has ever tried to help him, or they've been helping him with the surface problems, but never really get into the root issue, which is his blindness. Now, a danger for our ministry to others is that if we only ever patch up the surface damage, uh, but we don't deal with the root problem in people's lives, then they stay stuck. So maybe if we just get a next slide. In, in fact, the disciples asked Jesus, who has sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, it's interesting that the disciples encounter a problem and they look immediately for somebody to blame. Or for an excuse that means that they don't have to actually deal with the real problem. Now, if he sinned, then he must deserve it. And if it's his fault, then surely he should have to deal with the consequences. But Jesus says, no, neither this man has sinned nor his parents, but actually this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, sometimes when we encounter difficult people or difficult situations, like the disciples, we can become weighed down by the scale of a problem. But having faith gives us hope, and it helps us see opportunities for the works of God to be displayed, doesn't it? So look at how Jesus responds. So firstly, he takes responsibility for the man. So he makes a paste for the man's eyes with mud and saliva. He orders him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man comes back seeing. Now, it's a brilliant miracle, of course, but it's made possible because Jesus noticed the man he cared enough about him to take responsibility, and he went after the heart of a problem, which was the man's blindness. So I'm going to talk about three things. Noticing people, uh, I'm going to talk about caring for people, and going after the heart of a problem. So do you notice people? Uh, classic image, do you see a vase or do you see the two faces? I'm sure some of you have seen that before. But now if we want to be a part of a ministry that transforms lives, then we need to start by noticing people. Now, it can become so easy to become blind to the world that we see every day that we either stop looking for or noticing what's going on in the lives of those around us. Now, how many people would have walked past a blind man every day without ever stopping uh, to acknowledge him? And how many people that we walk past every day are struggling with things like depression or isolation or loneliness or addiction or loss, etc. But yet we're still blind to what they're battling because we're not looking for it. So what about your neighbour? What about your colleague? What about that parent that you see on school pickup every day? What about maybe even that person that's in our congregation at church today? And maybe for some of us, that's us. And maybe we need to help others to notice what's going on in our lives as well. Now, I guess part of the reason that we don't notice is we've become so distracted or we've lost faith or hope that God will act 
here and now. And it's easier to hide behind excuses like a disciples. But we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up. So I've just uh, put some suggestions of things that I think can help us to notice people. One, avoiding distractions, right? I've put get off your phone. Right, the number of people that we see out and about in public spaces, they're on school pickup, whatever, and everybody's on their phone. And what that does is it draws us inward, right? And it stops us looking outward, and it stops us seeing and noticing people. Number two, just becoming aware of who is around you. Again, we can get so caught in our own world that we don't even see who's around us. And, and people that we, like, are around us all the time, we just don't even notice them. Three, learning names. Like, I'm really hot on learning names because I have to be, but actually it's really awkward, isn't it, when you've seen somebody a lot and we don't even know their name. Just trying to learn their names for people around us uh, gives them a dignity and value in our world. Asking questions about people's lives and then listening, even just simple things. How's it going? What are you up to at the weekend? Uh, like, what, what did you guys do this week? Did you have a good week? And then actually listening and getting into the habit of, of really hearing what people are telling us uh, just builds a picture of who these people are that we're around. And finally, expecting that God wants to act in people's lives. Because if I expect that God wants to act in your life, I'm more likely to be on a higher state of alert than if actually things aren't really going to change. So what's the point? So there's this beautiful line in Ephesians that I really like, which is, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I wonder how many of us need just to be woken up uh, by the Holy Spirit so that we can start by noticing people, to listen, to ask questions, and to spot need. Caring. So once we notice people, the question then becomes, how much do we care? So often, Jesus' miracles are driven by compassion because God cares for people. Now, I know that we can't do everything, and we all have lives that place demands on us, but how much we care influences uh, what we value, and what we value influences how we take shape our time, our energy, our finances, etc., because if we care about people, then we make space for them. We meet up with them, we phone them, we text them. We maybe go for coffee with them and spend time with them. Now, I remember when um, I was growing up, there was an elderly gentleman that was part of the, the church that I used to go to. Uh, and so he used to come, he, he lived in a residential home up the road, and he used to come to church, and he was cripplingly lonely. Um, now, my dad always used to spend time with him. He'd play chess with him, he'd visit him, he'd have a cup of tea or coffee with him, uh, and he'd do his best for him. And often this guy used to turn up at our house unannounced, and he just wanted some company. And sometimes this would be fine, but other times he'd turn up just as we were getting ready to go out or to have dinner or to engage in a family activity etc. And it used to really grate on me, and I was, I was a little bit hard-hearted towards uh, this guy, but my dad always used to give him time, even when it meant that he or we had to miss out. So my dad cared for this guy, even when it cost him, uh, and for that, an elderly gentleman just felt that little bit less alone in the world. Later, when I went to uni, I went to Bristol, and I was part of a Catholic chaplaincy 
And it absolutely killed me that this group of young people aged between 18 to 24 could just be part of something so dull and flat and lifeless. They just brought nothing to it, no energy, no buzz, nothing. Uh, and it really used to kill me. Um, and so they used to have a social afterwards where they'd gather for a meal downstairs. Uh, and I just didn't want to be part of it. I'd disappear straight off and go to Woodlands, which was the Bristol equivalent of Harbour Church, to get my worship fixed. And one day I was in worship and I was just praying, God, please send your spirit to just bring this Catholic chaplaincy to life. Lord, please don't let it be so dead and lifeless. And I felt God saying, Dom. You've got the skill, the charisma, the character, the banter, the good looks, the like, legend, the thing. The, uh, and, and then I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, I was like, and what's the point of this anecdote then, God? But no, but he said, um, no, in all seriousness, he was like, Dom, you've got all the skills and the character and the charisma to do something about it, but you don't even stay for the social. You don't care. Like, so then after that, I did start staying for the socials um, after, after Mass. And just by connecting with people, making friends, building a sense of community, I then went on to be the social secretary. Now, to say that we completely transformed it would probably be overstating the case, but we did build a genuine sense of community and friendship groups and made people want, look forward to actually seeing each other. So we did make a bit of a difference. So the question is... How much do you care? Because once we really care about people and their lives and their pain and their suffering, then our action will naturally come out of that. So getting to the heart of the problem. Now, a problem that we have as churches is that we can get into a pattern of doing good and charitable things that help people but they never really solve the roots of their problems. Now, there's a story that a woman once discovered a basket with a baby in it floating down the river. So she waded into the river, pulled the basket out, uh, rescued the baby, and started caring for it. And then three days later, she was down at the river again, and there was another basket floating down the river with another baby in it. So she waded in, rescued it, called somebody to help her look after the baby. And then two days later, same again. Another basket, another baby. Next day, next day, next day. And eventually, the point of the story wasn't how many babies that she could save from the river, but actually how long would it take before somebody went upstream to find out why babies were being floated down the river in the first place? Get into the heart of a problem. So, St. Jude's, if we were in the story of a blind man, what would we do? Well, I think St. Jude's is quite a pastoral, caring community, so I think probably somebody would make him a cup of tea. Now, I also think somebody would probably invite him to Friday Fridge. Uh, I think somebody maybe eventually would invite him to an Alpha uh, maybe try and get him signed up to a cell group. And all of these are good and important things and will help the man, right? But actually, they won't deal with the root issue, the heart of it, which was his blindness. And that is what Jesus goes after. What is the heart of the issue for those that we're in contact with? That thing that just a quick cup of tea or, or maybe even a Bible study won't fix. As much as they'll help, they won't fix now, to get to heart of people's issues, we've got, to be allowed to, uh, we've got to allow them to take us to a place that might not be that comfortable. So maybe it's a deep sense of loneliness. 
Maybe it's an addiction to pornography, gambling, alcohol, etc. Maybe it's um, financial problems. Or maybe they're carrying deep scars from past hearts. And maybe it might be that you can't solve everything. But we do know somebody that can because Jesus does solve these things. And at least we can then be praying for the right things. Or directing people to the right sort of help. Or at very least, we're becoming aware of what's really going on and what's out there. But each stage builds on the others. We can't get to the heart of people's lives and struggles unless they know we care enough to allow us access to those places. And we won't be inspired to care for people unless we take the time to notice them. Now, there are many, many, many miracle stories out there, loads of testimony books of healings, uh, and, and even for me, I could have shared stories of, of little healings that uh, I've been involved with praying for, but the hope for us is that all things are possible because God cares for people, and it's God's healing power that transforms lives. Now, the disciples may have been the one that noticed the blind man, but it was Jesus that healed him. Now, what we're doing in transforming ministry, and I think this is really key, is we're just getting in step with God's heart, and we're finding what the Spirit is already doing in people's lives. And so to do this, I think transforming ministry needs three things. Prayer. It's got to be underpinned by prayer, because if it isn't, then we're just doing good things in our own strength. Uh, and it's a trap that, like, so many ministries can fall into we can all fall into a trap of this. Even in youth ministry, we can go through periods where we're just doing our thing, but actually it comes alive when it's really underpinned by prayer. It can become like the disciples trying to cure the blind man without Jesus. It won't happen, and we quickly become discouraged or frustrated. And prayer also aligns us with God's heart, doesn't it? And it helps us to stay alert to where the Spirit is moving. So we get a uh, better at noting people's needs or where God is already at work. Two, being connected to people. Now we need to be connected to people because we can't transform people if we're not connected to them. So the more we get into the habit of keeping our connections with others alive, the more ability we have to respond to people. So nurturing care in relationships, for me, I think is, is, as a habit, is like creating fertile soil for the Spirit to work through us. And likewise, if we never connect with anybody outside of a church bubble, then we're missing the point, aren't we? And the blind are going to stay blind. And number three, being a person of hope. Now, transforming ministry relies on the faith and hope that what God wants for us is better. So faith and hope always believes that God will find a way and faith and hope gives us the confidence to take more risks in the way that we interact with others. So to be transformative people, we always need to believe in God's plan for people, no matter how desperate their state or how, how dark their world is. Without faith and hope, we don't even give God the opportunity to work. We accept that the blind man is blind, and that's just how it is, rather than believing that today might be the day when God works a miracle in somebody's life. Um, just some questions that I think it's good to ask ourselves. Like if we want to take the first steps into ministry, um, say, so how can I support the work of the church? 
Part of it is just supporting what God's already doing, right? So am I able to volunteer? Am I on a rater? Um, you can't really see the red one, but am I connecting with others through the week? Are you supporting others and being supported yourself? That's just fostering that sense of connection. Then how am I connecting with the world, those outside of the church? Like, am I, am I connecting with people in a way that's intentional uh, and proactive? Okay, here we go. We're coming into land. So what is the point of ministry? What is the point? Well, in short, I think ministry is about bringing God's transforming power into being. That's what we're doing. Now, as a church or ministry, so for my youth ministry, I think that we should be creating pathways for those that we meet on the street to go from a first encounter with us to eventually becoming a follower or disciple of Jesus. That's what I think should be at the heart, that pathway. And as individuals, I think the actions that we engage in should have a reason or heart behind them. Because the more we find where God's heart is and do that thing, then we'll be doing the God thing, not just a good thing, and that takes our ministry to that transforming place. So maybe we'll just pray. So Father God, I just want to say thank you uh, that you've called us all to minister to people in different ways. And so, Lord, I just pray that you help us to really discover a, a sense of excitement and buzz and connection uh, with you, which is going to really draw us out uh, to want to minister and transform the lives of those around us. And I pray that we're bold to really take on the heart of pe- the issues in people's lives uh, and not just, just settle for that surface level. And I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.